Fusecast 14, your podcast for everything roleplay in the world of Eorzea. I'm your co-host, Remix Sakura. And I'm your other co-host, Nemi. And because we could not fit them all into one episode, today we'll be discussing People of Limsa Lamensa, Part 2. Yes. As of last episode, we talked a little bit about Melvid Blifisfin and the basics of Lamensan society, but today we're going to be talking a little bit more about some of the still crucial characters to Limsa Lamenza, but ones who aren't quite as often talked about. But are still totally awesome. They are. And they're all pirates. <laughs> and thanks to Patch 3.3, which came out, what was it, a month ago or so? About. It was uh, maybe a little bit more because it was like June 6th or 7th. Yeah, so thanks to Patch 3.3, though, we do have quite a lot more information about these characters. So... I'm sort of glad we're doing this episode when we did. Yes, yes. Good timing. Definitely. So shall we start? Yes. And there's definitely one character that I was very, very glad got more screen time in patch 3.3. And that's Storm Marshal Einzar Slafferson. A.K.A. Pirate King Mistbeard. It's confirmed. (laughs) (laughs) It is. He is Melvib's second in command, I suppose you could say. Yes. Rowab's right hand. We got some hints beforehand, but now we got confirmation of his rather interesting past. So the Pirate King Mistbeard is, was basically a legendary figure, almost a myth. And there were all these kind of legends that surrounded him about who he might have been or what he might have stolen from whom. And one reason why that legend persisted so long is that we found out that Mistbeard was not one person, but many people throughout the ages. The identity was passed down through different people in the form of this mask, which actually hid their true identity. So even though he's a mythical figure, the stories about him, and I'm sure they've probably been exaggerated over time, but at least in some vague form, are true. Yeah. There's probably, there's probably a, little, a kernel of truth to them, like usually happens with myths and legends. Yeah, they just become all these, you know, extremely overblown tall tales, but I'm sure there have got to be some truths in them. Yeah, and they make for good stories, right? They do. <laughs> <laughs> Little kids in Limsa have to eat their vegetables or Miss Beard will come after them. Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out. Yeah, I mean, he he had the reputation for being a very dangerous and, and somewhat scary figure, which is which is kind of interesting because Einstein is such like a, like a, a gentle guy. Well, minus the part where he said that, you know, your character doesn't matter about this and I'll put your head on a pike yeah. if you mess up or things like that. But <laughs> but generally speaking, he comes across as this, you know, pretty cuddly guy, at least in my opinion. You, you think a lot of people are cuddly because you're I a do. <laughs> I am a Lollafell. I'm a real life Lollafell. You're in a Lollafell you in, in your heart. <laughs> So Einzar was actually the last person to don the Mistbeard mask. And the reason he quit was to follow Morovib in her dream for a better Limsa Liminsa. And that's a big deal. It shows a lot of commitment and sacrifice on his part for him to give up all of the power and fame and glory that goes along with being the most notorious pirate on the seas to go be a soldier. and. It speaks a lot to Rovib's leadership 
and her ability to make people want to follow her to the seventh hell and back. And he's very, very devoted to her. Definitely. Now I'm wondering at this point who the next Mistbeard might be. And I guess that's up for everybody to kind of muse over. If well, he has even handed down the name. No. Well, I think that the idea is that he hasn't handed down the name because the inheritance is basically through the mask. And in Hallbreaker Isle normal mode, we return the mask to him. So no one else can ever wear he's it. He's wearing again. it. Yeah, well, you know, he, he was, he's the last misbeard. He's, he's going to take it to his grave, I guess. Aww. Aww. Yeah, but that's the way that Limsa Limsa had to change. They had to reduce piracy. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, we discussed some of those points in the last episode and why Morova made those reforms that she did. Mm-hmm. So, other than the fact that he used to be the most notorious pirate on the Seven Seas, or I don't know how many seas there are in Heidelin, we don't know a lot about him, and it leaves a lot of unanswered questions. So, we know that Morweb's father, Bluefist, the leader of the League of Lost Bastards before her, was killed by getting into a fight with a Mistbeard. My thinking is this was the Mistbeard before Einzar. I think it would be kind of odd if she made best friends with her father's murderer. <laughs> oh, I definitely would agree. Unless, like, Blippis was some, like, extremely ruthless person that Melviv hated, but I... I don't know. I just don't see that no. as being very likely. I mean, we don't have a lot of evidence for it, but in my head, they actually had a very close relationship. But that's just that's just our peer speculation. <laughs> so, lore book, lore book, lore book. Please come soon. Thank you. <laughs> yes, please. Please don't make us wait online at FanFest to get it. Please put it up for pre-order. <laughs> yeah, but with that said, if we know that. Or if we if we think that Einzar probably wasn't the one who ended up killing Bufus, then how did Einzar end up meeting Melvib? Yeah. How did and how did they become close after that? So of course I have a headcanon about this. Do tell. It has to be something around the fact that Einzar was impressed beyond anyone else he'd ever seen before about Morovib's toughness and tenacity as a woman in the pirate world what i specifically kind of envisioned because i tend to be specific in creating stories in my head is that there's a much younger version of marova she is much closer to the death of her father and is probably still grieving so when she has a chance to actually confront miss beard now most people are used to running away from him or groveling or just begging for their lives but instead of doing that, she just goes right up to him and asks, like, did you kill my father? Or maybe when she goes up to him, she actually she sees that he's physically not the person who killed her father. Because maybe the, the one previous to Einzar was Debrugadin. And she can see that he has a different form, even though she can't see his face. So she, she figures out that he's not the one who killed her father. But she still conf confronts him and, and challenges him and says, like, you know, should I fear you? Should I respect you? Like, what kind of person are you? Like, I have this grudge and you have to impress me rather than me impressing you. Because if you don't impress me, I will come after you personally. 
And he's like, whoa, whoa, the balls, balls of steel right here. <laughs> Everyone else is, is used to being scared of him. She's not scared of him at all. And that leaves a huge impression on him. I could see that as happening. Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah. Now that said, over time, they did end up becoming close. Yeah, so much that uh, she chose him to be her right hand and that he chose to give up that life to be her right hand now i've heard rumors though um that they might have been well the relationship between the two might be something a bit additional (laughs) to the fact that you know she's the admiral and he's the storm marshal yeah there's some speculations about the nature of their relationship and the one that most plants the idea in our heads is quest from 1.0 called a misty past And this quest discusses a rumor that's been going around that may hurt Mrovib's name that she had, quote-unquote, dark relations with Mistbeard. Scandalous. Scandalous. Ooh, is that what they're calling it now? Dark relations? (laughs) Maybe in Limsa. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. It's very euphemistic. (laughs) Yeah. Another interesting point is that the... Lodestone profile for Mova confirms that her weapons, two guns called Death Penalty and Annihilator, once belonged to the pirate Mistbeard. Ah, curious. So not only did he pledge his loyalty, he actually gave her his guns. And that's that's a big deal. Shows commitment. It does. <laughs> Almost like an engagement would be. <laughs> the pirate engagement ring. <laughs> it's guns. Maybe. And I think in Holebreaker Hard Mode, there were a couple of lines where they're just kind of bantering, this playful banter between the two of them. It's definitely more than professional. Yeah, (laughs) for sure, for sure. By the way, silly little thing I've always been curious about, but if Merweb is carrying two guns and she has one on her left hip, where is the other one? I'm not sure. The coat she wears is kind of form-fitting, so I don't see a lot of, like, pockets. Maybe an interior pocket Maybe, or something. Yeah. yeah. Or it's in her cleavage. <laughs> <laughs> you could fit a lot of stuff there. <laughs> I guess you could. I think it wouldn't be the safest of options if you were to, yeah. you know, put a gun in there. That's true. That's Especially true. if it were loaded. I would think as a pirate, like, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. So why would you keep potentially a loaded gun unless she's like really really quick at loading and reloading why would you keep that was mostly a joke (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's got to be some kind of secret to it if i could ask koji fox a question that's what i would ask but i wouldn't say is it in her cleavage just where do you (laughs) keep the where does she keep the gun (laughs) the other one oh boy so more bits about these two einzar and rova in her Tales of the Calamity story, she has to give an order for retreat once it's true, you know, once it's clear that Bahamut is going to fuck everyone's shit up. And she comments to herself that he knows me too well to argue. So they know each other pretty well. They do. Yeah. Such that he doesn't question her orders. And some of my some of my favorite interactions come in patch 2.2 when 
Leviathan is summoned and threatens to destroy Limsa Liminsa with an enormous tidal wave in the patch tile through the maelstrom. So an interesting point about this scene to start with is that Merobab, who's usually so calm and collected and confident, actually shows worry in her face when she talks about what might happen to Limsa. You know, her, her face is actually downcast. And that's possibly the first time that we've seen her that way. I think she's I think she's stumped in this case and isn't yeah. really sure what she's going to be doing and what the best way is to address all of this. Yeah, and she knows that the city might be destroyed again and it's all really on her. So, Einzar, who's next to her in this meeting that we're all having with the Warrior of Light and the Scions, he brings up an idea. He says that he got from the pirate Mistbeard. Not saying that he is, but he got it from Mistbeard. The idea is that Mistbeard had to carry a very, very large load, so he strapped two barges together flat. And Einzor is wondering, can we adapt this idea to carry the load of crystals that we need to bring with us in order to create the elemental converter that we're going to use to defend ourselves against Leviathan? And then actually Rova kind of changes her expression and perks up. And she's like, oh, that's interesting. You seem to know a lot about the pirate Mistbeard. Smirk. And she put on this, this great smirk and looks at him sideways. And Einzor is just like <laughs> blushing. <laughs> And she's trolling him, and he's like, um, um, yes, well, that's what I heard. <laughs> and, like, quickly changes the subject. <laughs> so we end up adopting this plan. Everything works. Yay, Leviathan is defeated. Go, Warriors of Light. <laughs> the day is saved. Yeah, were you, are you surprised that we won again? <laughs> it seems like we win every time. You know that's true. The Warrior of Light has like pretty much a 100% success rate. Yep. <laughs> that's plot armor for you. So we go back to the stateroom and Rovib is again her confident and happy self now that the day is saved. And she's thanking us. She's thanking the Scions. And she also says, I'd also like to thank the pirate Mistbeard. He was an awfully clever fellow. Wink, wink. <laughs> I would have loved to have someone like that in my service. Looks backward at Einzar, smirking. Wink. Mm. <laughs> and, and instead of changing the subject, he actually shakes his head, smiles, and exhales. He's like, oh, damn it, woman, why do I put up with you? <laughs> why are you trolling me in front of everybody? Yeah, I think Melvib's definitely a teaser. Yeah, she she's doing it for shits and giggles, and she knows that he likes it. <laughs> and I also think, actually, that she shows affection for all the people that she cares about through merciless teasing. I think she teases the rest of the Eorzean Alliance as well. Oh, we've talked about this multiple, like, numerous <laughs> times. Yeah. I think all of them really end up teasing each other in various ways. Yeah. What are friends for? <laughs> <laughs> but then we get to Holebreaker... Well, no, this is Holebreaker normal, so we're going to take a step back here. Yes. I believe this dungeon was released at uh, around the same time. Holebreaker normal? Yeah. I'm not sure. Oh, around the time of Leviathan. So we don't actually see a lot more of Einzar 
on screen until Hullbreaker Isle normal mode. And I'm not sure what patch this was released because this is around the time that I was still leveling up my character and I was not in Endgame. But the story is that Einzar has asked the Warrior of Light to go to Hallbreaker Isle to retrieve a coffer aboard the Hob, which was Miss Beard's ship, which I believe is wrecked there. And he doesn't tell you what's in the coffer until you come back to Limsa, but it turns out that it contains Miss Beard's mask. And at this point, it's just hinting about his Miss Beardy past, but he does reveal one that Mistbeard was many people throughout the ages, and two, that the last Mistbeard retired to follow Morovib in her dream for a better Limsa Liminsa. Hmm. So that got us, you know, pretty much everyone suspected at that point that he was the last Mistbeard. In patch 3.3, which just recently came out, we go back to Hullbreaker Isle for hard mode. And again, Einzar, who seems to have an emotional attachment to this island, he's asked the Admiral to fix up the island, clean it up, and turn it into a Maelstrom training ground. An interesting thing is that along with the Maelstrom soldiers that are there practicing, you also get to fight the two pirate crews of Limsa. Yeah, usually I think it was said that they don't participate in like the training exercises, but... I guess the fact that there was going to be the Warrior of Light there yeah. was kind of too <laughs> tempting to go to Klein. Yeah, even though they're they're like technically part of the Maelstrom uh, due to the Galadian Accord, they don't usually care about Maelstrom stuff. They're just free spirits. They want to go pirating. But no one can pass up the chance to, to fight the Warrior of Light. <laughs> so, so the first boss you actually fight is the Sanguine Sirens. They are the all-female pirate crew led by Captain Rosswin. And before you go into the dungeon, the person directing you says, now that you've fought these monsters, let's put you against more civilized opponents. And I'm like, oh, the Sanguine Sirens aren't exactly civilized. They're, they're kind of scruffy and scalawaggy ladies. <laughs> and instead of fighting just one person, you actually fight all the sirens who kind of zerg at you in a bunch of different ads while Rosswin is in the background shouting orders at them. So that's kind of fun. And after this boss fight, you actually get to see Rosswin standing there as an NPC, and her chat dialogue says something like, you better not lose to that foppish dandy up ahead. Of course, referring to her arch-rival, Carvalane. <laughs> now, you don't actually get to fight Carvalane either. In this next battle, you actually fight this monster that the Kraken's arms have acquired called Ymir, who some people might recognize as one of the first bosses in Final Fantasy VI, huge snail guy. Um, but you can hear Carvalane in the background making different comments. And of course, once we defeat him, he laments that he wasted his money on this guy. <laughs> but you also get to see him as an NPC afterwards. He's actually got an axe on his back. And, you know, you can give him hugs, emote at him. That's definitely what I did. <laughs> That's what I did, too. Yeah, it, we got to tell them about the Mistbeard run at the end. We will. <laughs> and in the last room, you fight different Storm Elite, including Commander Riki, who you talk to in Maelstrom HQ. And finally, your last boss, at first... Is Einzar. Is Storm Marshal Slapperson. So you begin the battle, and... Of course, you're, you're 
kicking him around silly because you're four warriors alight. And Morva, who's watching from the side, says something like, you seem to be treading water, Marshall. If I didn't know better, I would say that you don't care for our company's good name. And he says, this is all paraphrasing, like, spare me, Admiral. You know that my duty is to the maelstrom. However, wearing this uniform prevents me from doing my worst. And then he says, since all present know the truth of the matter, perhaps I can let loose or something like that. And then she says, yes, you have my permission. It would make for a better spectacle. <laughs> Bring on the mask. Yeah. So he does this little henshin transformation and turns into Mistbeard. Now it's been officially confirmed, but I think a lot of people knew at that point. Yeah. And he goes from fighting uh, in a warrior style, wearing the Storm Elite's tanking uniform, to wearing the Mistbeard mask and what looks like a Kirimu coat, and he turns into a machinist and starts shooting at you. Pew, pew, pew. Although you know what's weird? Yeah? It looks like he's got one of Melvib's guns. Yes. So once once you defeat him, at the end, near the exit, you see... Einzar, who's on the ground kind of panting, saying, I haven't felt so alive in ages. And Similar to Ralvan, actually. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're helping them hearken back to the glory days with these play fights. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, oh, and Rova, if you talk to her, she's, she commends you and she says something like, maybe I'll have the chance to face you one day. Let's so, hope. I'm yeah. hoping. Can, can this happen? Can we have more Aorzean Alliance play fights? <laughs> Let's play fight with Nanamo. I'm wondering how oh, that no. would go. I don't know. <laughs> you know what's really interesting? What? You know that that fighting game video that they released oh, yeah. a while it back was, where Ida fights Livia? It was all Livia? in Japanese, I think. But it was yeah. Ida and Livia and then the Scions join in and eventually defeat her. Yes. Yeah. So in the beginning, in the in like the character select screen... Raubon is a character, but they show the picture of him, like, carrying Nanamo. So I assume that if you pick him, it would be, like, this tag team thing. That would be great. <laughs> or, like, maybe something like, you know, in Super Smash Bros. Brawl, where they have um, the Pokemon trainer. And so you see the trainer just kind of giving the orders in the background. Yeah. Maybe it could be something like that as well. Yeah. But I think Raubon probably would know better about you know, strategy and things like that when it comes to combat. Yeah. But she would definitely be part of whatever her super move was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whatever the finishing blow would be. Yeah. You know who would be the worst to fight in a play fight? Who? Kane. Kane? Kane, yeah. I think, is so underestimated. And we might talk yeah. about this um, whenever we get to Gridania. Yeah. But Kane, I think, is pretty underestimated. And... Especially the fact that she's a conjurer. She could yeah. just go and heal herself. Yeah, it's extremely difficult to PvP one-on-one -on -one against healers. And she's she's going to heal herself and then she's going to holy spam you to death. Yep. <laughs> that would be a very frustrating fight, I would think. <laughs> All right, so we got super sidetracked. Okay, Back so on at topic. the end of the fight, <laughs> at the end of the fight, we see not only Einzar and Rova, but on the ground, you see a gun that matches the design of Rowib's guns. So she's still carrying one on her left hip, but I guess whichever one she's not carrying, I'm not sure which is which, and I would love to know. 
you figure out that Einzer was actually using that gun. And that's very, very curious. So she gave it to him before the yeah. fight even started. <laughs> so, yeah, an idea that was brought up by a friend of mine who's enemy eater on Tumblr. Her theory is that they actually planned the whole henshin into Mistbeard thing from the beginning. And that's why she lent him back one of the guns and that their whole banter <laughs> was just a, was just a farce so they could put on this show and play this joke on everyone. Oh, I could see that. Oh, man. Uh, that, w- that would be pretty great. <laughs> I just, I love these two. They they seem to really like their shits and giggles. Dark relations. Dark relations. It's a possibility. Oh, yeah. there's, lo- there's lots of evidence about how close they are, how friendly they are. So there's good evidence that they are a thing and that they are still having dark relations. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, do you want to talk maybe a bit more about the um, other pirate crews, like the ones that we saw in Hullbreaker Heart? Yes, yes. So currently in Limsa Lamensa, we know of three major active pirate crews. And they are actually sanctioned by the Maelstrom. And they are allowed to exist under the rule that they only raid Garlean ships and especially not raid other Lamensan ships. Those are the Bloody Executioners, the Sanguine Sirens, we fought before, and the Kraken's Arms. So we, don't he- we actually don't hear a lot about the Bloody Executioners in A Realm Reborn, but they're pretty prominent in 1.0. Their leader is a fellow named Healfear. Back in 1572, where 1.0 takes place and Movib has just become Admiral, but her rule is still kind of tenuous... She's facing a lot of opposition from pirates because she's putting all these restrictive reforms on on piracy. And it's interfering with their way of life, even though she knows that's what has to be done. And the bloody executioners were basically her biggest enemy and obstacle to solidifying rule. And there's even a rumor going around that they are plotting to assassinate her and install Hilfir as admiral. I think we mentioned last week that admiral is a job for life as long as you can stay alive (laughs) but there is definitely a risk that you may not so during this very tenuous time there was a woman from the knights of the barracuda named malin who who kind of changed the course of laments and politics by accident malin was so loyal to mova that she decided to take this bloody executioner's matter into her own hands Basically, the problem was that Hilfir would not even come to meet with Moab to parley and discuss some kind of mutual agreement that might clear up this tension. He refused to even face her. So what Malin did is she forged a request from the Admiral to the Bloody Executioners for them to come meet aboard a maelstrom ship called the Braveheart, which was her ship, under a white flag of parley. Of course, it wasn't meant to be peaceful. Malin was going to use this opportunity to as- assassinate Hilfir, right? How could this plan possibly go wrong? <laughs> well, hang on a sec. So the Knights of the Barracuda, what exactly or who exactly are they and what do they do? It's not actually clear where the Knights of the Barracuda fit into the Maelstrom because they're not on the Maelstrom organization chart on the Lodestone. But it seems to me like they are the core infantry. And they operate both on the sea and on the land. Okay. We see um, 
the commander Reiner, he kind of just hangs out in Limsa rather than being at sea with the different squads of the Crimson Fleet, which are the, the Navy. So maybe they're like the army to the Navy, as best I can speculate. Okay. All right. So where were we? Yes. Malin is a knight of the Barracuda. She's concocting this plan to off Hilfir. So the time comes for the meeting. And instead of just Hilfir coming aboard to Parley and offering himself up for assassination, all of the bloody executioners board the ship and proceed to slaughter all of the knights of Barracuda aboard. Oh, noes. This wasn't in the plan. And they, they were taken completely unaware. So Malin has just sentenced all of her comrades on the Braveheart to death. And she's so distraught that she tries to throw herself into the sea. But then she sees Mrovib, who has her gun to Hilfir's back from a distance. And what happened was that Mrovib, who was on the ship, fought back, even when all of her soldiers were killed, and single-handedly slaughtered all of the bloody executioners until the only survivors were her and Hilfir. Wow, right? Why didn't we get to see this in a cutscene? Because <laughs> <laughs> it would be too bloody. Because it yeah, wouldn't be it wouldn't be T for teen, It wouldn't be T for teen rated. But that would have been so cool. So she's finally got Hilfir into a corner, and he says to her, "Eight one to back down, Arya Mrovib," and she says, "If I were, what manner of admiral would I make?" And he says, "None at all." My ships are yours. May you lead them to glory. So that's the story of how she finally got Hilfir to bend the knee, agree to come under Maelstrom control. Pretty crazy, right? And even though Morovib saved the day, she couldn't have done it without this crazy, crafty, loyal woman named Mullen. And that's a story from 1.0 that I feel like a lot of people don't know, but it's so cool. And just another reason why Morovib is great. <laughs> <laughs> would have made a good, a good action movie. Um, it's not clear where this scene takes place in the um, context of the Gladiator card, but I feel like it must have been before because at, at the scene where they attempt the first signing, which we talk about in some of our bonus content, Hilfir is with her, he's standing next to her, he is part of her alliance. So what they have now is basically a truce in exchange for technically being under Maelstrom control, even though the they don't have to exercise that power that much unless it's a wartime, like in The Calamity. Um, Hilfir has control over the pirate underworld in those realms which the Maelstrom basically doesn't have any say. They know that there's an element that they can't control, and they count on Hilfir to keep things kind of stable for the best interest of the city. So, you know, he's like the pirate mob boss, but even he has to acknowledge that Mrovib is really in charge. Very, very cool, and I wonder if we'll see more of them in Aroma Born at some point. I'm sort of hoping that we do. Yeah. Because I don't think I've ever seen them around. Like, at least from my playing experience, I haven't seen Hilfir or really the Bloody Executioners or anything like that. Yeah. They may have been more of a 1.0 thing. Maybe. Our next pirate crew we've mentioned before, and they are the Sanguine Sirens. They are the all-female pirate crew led by Captain Roswin, and they are definitely known for being some fierce pirate bitches. Their NPC dialogue around the missing member, which they run, a tavern in Limsa Liminsa, you get different bits of dialogue that say they don't like men around, 
the bar unless they're sleeping with them. <laughs> and when you talk to some of the members, you find out that Roswin is Roswin is both very harsh on and very loyal to her crew. So she may push them, but she'll also protect them. But despite being pirates, they've also become the proprietors of that tavern, which, unironically, I would think, is called the missing member. Yeah, it's it's supposed to imply what happens to the men that mess with them. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> you gotta have somewhere to hang out when you're on land. You know, mix in a little bit of legal business, too. Mm-hmm. The last major pirate crew that is operating is called the Kraken's Arms. Their captain is a fellow named Carvalane, and he has a very interesting backstory. You may have noticed that he is an Elizan, and there's not a whole lot of those in Limsa Lamensa. There aren't. There are a lot of, like, heroes. You know, I've seen a couple of Mikotes, lots of Rugadins. Yes. But even Lollafels, but Elizan are kind of hard to come by. Yeah. And his default NPC dialogue mentions that before he came to Limsa, he would have been a star reader, a.k.a. an astrologian. Where do lots of Elizin and astrologians come from? Ishgard. They come from Ishgard, right? So through different scattered bits of story and dialogue around the game, we piece together his backstory. And that is that he was born in Ishgard and was born a noble, the second son of House Durandare. And when he was a young man, he was sailing on a voyage and he was shipwrecked. He was thought to be dead, but he actually ended up washing up on Limsa Lamensa. And I think in that same wreck, his parents were killed at sea. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes his brother the that current would make head. Sense. Yeah. And I guess he just stayed in Limsa. Yeah, he just stayed there and became one of the most famous and powerful pirates, right? That's kind of neat. <laughs> yeah, and, and he says in his dialogue that he's also happy that this happened, that it was actually a stroke of luck that he didn't become some head-in-the-clouds star reader instead, just like his father. Yeah, that said, if he were good at astrology when he was back there, like I would think that being able to read the stars is really crucial for navigation. Yeah, that's that's very true. So he's probably a really good navigator. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point. Of course, when you do the astrologian quests in 3.0, you meet with a fellow called Jean-Equiard de Durandaire, who looks an awful lot like Carvalane. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> and through another slip of dialogue, you find out that Jean-Equiard is the third son of the house, but people are actually pretending that he is the second son. So technically, it seems like the house has disowned or forgotten about Carvalane. And that's kind of interesting. So if we assume that the parents are dead, the rest of the family basically didn't try to find him or he didn't try to find them. That they don't seem to know each other or, or have a relationship anymore. And, and I wonder why that is. Is it because Carvalane ended up hating his family and didn't want to go back and disown them or is it because they disowned him when they found out that he had kind of renounced his heritage and become of all things a pirate <laughs> oh that's not very proper and to conceal his identity Carvalent has the surname de gorgain and he got this actually from the fellow who was his caretaker 
when he was a young man on that ship, who was a knight called Sir Gorgain. And Sir Gorgain also survived the shipwreck, but had no idea where Carvalane was. And as he was the boy's caretaker, he was so upset and distraught after this that he either quit and subsequently founded Gorgain Mills, which is in Curthus Western Highlands, and just became a farmer instead. Or maybe he was fired. That's likely too, because he was blamed for the boy going missing or dying. Probably more likely that he quit, though, because of all of his grief. Actually, you know, it was his employers that died, too, and he was just so upset. Mm-hmm. So that's the backstory of Carvalane. He's secretly, or not so secretly, Inish Guardian Noble, because there are different rumors going around about him. And I think that's part of the reason why um, Rosefin often says, like, just kind of makes fun of him for being, yeah. you know, acting all... I don't know. I suppose high and mighty. Proper, yeah. He, <laughs> yeah, proper. He, does, he doesn't talk like the other pirates. He talks a little bit more like an Ishgardian. He is described as a dandy by her. Like he dresses nice and he has that little bit of a, of a knightly suaveness to him, you know, of being a native Ishgardian, which is quite a contrast to the rest of Limsa. I mean, he's still, he's still ruthless as a pirate should be. But he's got a little bit of refinement that maybe it seems to Roswin is trying to say that he's better than everybody. Mm-hmm. And then what does he think of her? Well, he actually thinks that she's rather rough and unrevined and uncivilized and unladylike. Yeah. And, you know, despite all that, they're still kind of they're always talking about each other. They're always talking about the fact that they hate each other. It's like, you know, when you have two people that on the outside hate each other but they talk about each other so much it seems like they're a little bit obsessed and maybe they're trying to cover up something else yeah like you know um <laughs> if you're familiar with anime um the term tsundere comes to mind yeah <laughs> which is the idea that outwardly you are cold to somebody but then the inside you actually have strong feelings for them exactly <laughs> there's a lot of hints for this going on not only the fact that they talk about each other so much, maybe to the point of obsession, but in the Tales of the Calamity story, from Rovip's point of view that we talked about earlier, while everything is going to shit from Bahamut, Roswin comes up to Rovip and is extremely distraught that so many of her sanguine sirens have died, and she starts to read out their names. So she's really, really angry at this point, and she decides that she's going to go get revenge on the Garleans by taking her and her gun and shooting at a Magitek Reaper. Now, this is obviously really dumb and is going to get her killed, <laughs> but she doesn't care because she's very hot-headed and she's grieving. So she just runs up to the thing, and who comes along to save her from herself but Carvalane, who literally rides by on a chocobo, grabs her by the waist, and pulls her away. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, you don't. Like, literally cavalier. <laughs> like, wow, is, is that something he would really do for his arch rival? If they claim to hate each other so much? Yeah, it's like, it's not like I wanted to save your life or anything. But baka <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and I think that there was something going on in 2014, yes. right? During Valentine's Day and that yes. event. The Valentine's Day quest, Love is a Battleground, 
One of the Sangren Sirens wants you to investigate why Roswin has been visiting the Culinarians Guild so often. You go up to the Guildmaster and he won't tell you any of his client's secrets, but he jokes that he's making something that's sure to set off sparks. When you go back to the Siren Woman, she says, oh, he must be making some kind of bomb <laughs> that Roswin is going to use to assassinate Carvalain. This must be it. They're cooking a bomb? Yeah. <laughs> An edible bomb. Mm -hmm. So the time comes for Rossman and Carvalain to have a face-off where she is apparently going to use this quote-unquote weapon against him. And after they trade different banters and insults toward each other, Carvalain's like, have at you. And what does Rossman bring out as her weapon but chocolate? <laughs> What? That she had made for him. <laughs> and at first, Carvalain is totally confused. He's like, what, what is this? Are, are you trying to distract me with these delicious smells in your feminine wilds? <laughs> <laughs> and right after this, Rosman changes her mind about her, about her confession. She, she brings them back and is like, that's ridiculous. No one in their right mind would fall for someone like you. I'm leaving now. Goodbye. <laughs> so she, they were she probably tried. poisoned anyways. Yeah, poisoned with aphrodisiac. <laughs> <laughs> so she tried. She put all this effort into trying to confess her feelings, and at the last minute, her pride got in the way. And when you go back to the siren woman to tell this story, she's like, "Don't tell anyone about this. Roswin will kill you and me." <laughs> And the story keeps going in the level 55 culinarian quest. So the quest giver, Mel Coco, who works at the missing member, is telling you about how, once again, Roswin has been making secret trips to the Culinarians Guild. <laughs> when you confront Roswin, her excuse this time is, oh, I'm having an Ishgardian meal prepared for Carvalain so that I can offer it to him under terms of peace, but actually poison him. <laughs> I see. Yeah, sure, sure. That's that's why you're having a special home-cooked Ishgardian meal made. It's got <laughs> aphrodisiac in it again. <laughs> Maybe. But as it turns out, when Carvalain comes to accept the meal, he doesn't touch it at all because he knows it must be poisoned, so it goes to waste. Aww. Too bad. He's never <laughs> going to eat any of those no. things that anybody prepared for him. No. And Roswin's never just going to come out and admit it. And Carvalain's never going to come out and admit it. So this plot is ongoing. <laughs> At least <laughs> yes. for the time being. Yes, but they are just two adorable tsundere pirates. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we are running out of time for today's episode. Yes, and that is the, the people of Limsa Liminsa. Yes, this concludes our Limsa Liminsa focused episodes. Yes. So, Emmy, mm -hmm. why don't you tell them a little bit more about that Mistbeard run that we did? Oh, yeah. So every week, we like to tell a little story because we are, you know, Final Fantasy fourteen players and not just role players, about things that have been going on in game. And so for this particular episode, I would like to talk about our all Mistbeard Holebreaker Hard Mode run. Yep. So we decided it was a good idea to go get everybody together and just do a 
run where all of our players were glamoured as wearing the imitation Mistbeard masks. So we had Tank Beard, who was mine, my little Lollafell, and then we had Cat Beard, who was yes. Remix's character. Yeah, my main on Gilgamesh. And then we had Lala Beard, who I believe was one of our DPSs. Yeah, one of my FC members. And Maid Beard. <laughs> <laughs> who was wearing the maid outfit. <laughs> who was, yeah, another friend of ours wearing a maid outfit. And so it was a whole lot of fun, and it was yeah. really great, especially at the end, because imagine, for example, the Warrior of Light coming in and surprises even Einsar with everybody's wearing Mistbeard masks. <laughs> like, hey, we know who you are. Yeah, let's We're all gonna be Mistbeard. We are Mistbeard, too. <laughs> And so it was it was a great great oh, amount yeah. of fun and just for the lulls. It was yeah, I love that. I I think we should do that again sometime. Yeah, just one of those things that you do that isn't about pushing content or isn't about grinding for gear. It's just literally for the lulls. And and the best part is at least within a role playing world, at the end of the run, my character has been begging and begging and begging Melvib to give him a Maelstrom uniform. Now, he's yep. a member of the Immortal Flames, and so you can see why she might be a bit reluctant to do that. But he wants to do it because he likes dressing up as a superhero, and it would mask it would match the red mask that he has. And so at the end of this run, Scoot finally got his Maelstrom uniform to use yes. with his costume because he did a job well done in motivating everybody. Yeah, he had to beg Mrova for quite a long time. He did. <laughs> Uh, and what's really nice in runs like that is you can stop to pause and like after you defeat the sirens, like get, like emote at Roswin. Like we stop to take pictures with Roswin and Carvalane. And at the end with Mrovib and Einzar Mistbeard, you just get to like slow down and have fun with the characters, which you could never do in a duty finder run. Yeah, typically you can't do that. But when you have a preform party like that, yep. it's great. Everybody understands. Yeah, it was a good time. So my story also involves a little adventure I had with Emmy. Mm -hmm. So I was one of the lucky few who got a house with the new housing wars released in plot 3.3. Not only that, but I got one of my first choices of plots, which was a beachfront on the mist. And even the person that, that got my first choice of plot was a friend of mine. So now we're neighbors and everything's cool. And I've been decorating it. I've been so happy. I tried to give it a summary, a nautical theme. There's lots of blue, but there's also some different cute Final Fantasy characters around. And I was able to craft the vast majority of it myself. And I'm really happy with the way my house has turned out. And I can't wait to have people over. So I'm like, Emmy, come over to my house and tell me what you think. Because I know that she's a very prolific decorator of houses. <laughs> I am. I I think I've done like maybe three or four houses to date and then like private chambers as well, and that's just on Gilgamesh. <laughs> I like houses. But when she came over, she was like, uh, I don't really like it. <laughs> Four out of ten. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I was kind of brutal with the assessment, but the reason why I said that was because there were a bunch of like items up against the walls and things like that. So then I offered, of course. Hey, can I help you yeah, decorate? Yeah, so she started offering these suggestions about how to divide the space up better, like use dividers, use partitions up against the walls to break up the wall space. And I tried to implement them myself. I'm moving things around. But it got to the point where I was like, here, why don't you just have tenant permissions and 
then she proceeded to rearrange my whole house. (laughs) (laughs) I did. And of course I said, you know, if there's anything that you don't like, feel free to move it back or move it somewhere else. Because I don't want to get like extremely controlled. Yeah, but I I kept most of it. And I I do like it better. I think maybe I wasn't looking at the space properly before, and now it's more like three-dimensional thinking rather than two-dimensional. And I do like it a lot. Yeah, congratulations on the house, by the way. Once again. (laughs) Awesome. Do do we want to give away the bomb dance at this point? Yes, we have a winner for our bomb dance contest. We do. And the winner is, how do you pronounce this name? Ali Lo. What is? Oh, Ali Loli Lot. I know who that is. Yeah, that's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> How do you pronounce the name? Alalala Lot May. Wow, on Gilgamesh. Woo! On Gilgamesh. Woo! So congratulations, Ali, <laughs> on winning the bomb dance, and we will send you your code. Yes. Now you can bam- bomb dance all summer long through the Moonfire Fair. Yes. Yes. More good news, also. What is that? We are on iTunes. Oh, right. We are on iTunes. Yes. And we're also on Stitcher. I have not heard of Stitcher. What is that? It is kind of an alternate iTunes store, more like independent. Okay. For podcasts specifically. So we are now on both of those. Yes. So you have many choices about how you can listen to the episode, including on the podcast app on your iPhone, which is how I listen to podcasts. That's really neat. Yeah, and you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. You can leave us a review and a rating, which really helps us stay prominent in the listings. And, of course, we are still on Tumblr and Facebook. Yep. And Twitter. Twitter. Yes, and Twitter, too. (laughs) I always forget about Twitter. (laughs) So you can follow us there. Yeah, there's, there's a nice community in there. We've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up. In our next few episodes. That's true. Yeah, next episode, um, we will be beginning the first of probably several episodes about Uldan. <laughs> I'm really excited about that because, boy, do I have a lot to say about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I have quite a bit, too. So this we're going to attempt to keep it to two episodes, but it might go into three. Maybe. We'll see how things go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not only that, but we've been invited to do a couple of interviewers with notable our peers throughout the fandom. When do you do you know when those are going to be, or at least who it's going to be with? So we don't know when exactly those will be aired. Depends on when we can schedule it with the different folks. But I think that's going to be an exciting new development where it's not just us talking all the time, but actually talking to the RP community and helping to be a voice for different notable people and different issues. Yeah, that should be a lot of fun to do. So we hope you'll tune in for those whenever those might be. Yes. And we will also, this week, be interviewed ourselves on one of my favorite podcasts for FF14 called She Heals, I Tank. They're a weekly podcast. They are also on iTunes. And they're very humorous people. They're more of a general interest FF14 podcast. They cover a number of different topics, but they have a nice humor. It's actually run by a couple who have... A very unique style of banter. So uh, one of their fans once said, come for the news, stay for the marital discord. <laughs> and they also they also have an awesome segment, which of course I approve of, called Drink About Eorzea, where they make up FF14 themed cocktails. Oh, that's kind of interesting. 
Yeah. For for the drunks out there. Yeah, I'm not really one to drink alcohol, but that seems really interesting. Like I love yeah. it when people make yeah. like um Eorzean themed foods and they try to recreate the recipes or, you know, in this case with the cocktails. That's a great idea. Yeah. They could probably they're very, very creative, so I'm sure they could be adapted to non alcoholic Oh, and I think they were having a, a cocktail submission contest. Where if you made up your drink, you could win a maid outfit. Oh, that's nice. Or some kind of prize. Yeah. So I just wanted to give a little shout out to them. We will be on their show. And maybe we'll have them on our show. Mm-hmm. Awesome stuff is happening at MuseCast. Definitely. Very exciting times. Yes. We look forward to seeing you all later, adventurers. We love you and see you next time. <laughs> see you next time. Thanks for listening to MuseCast 14. Tune in next time when we'll be discussing Udon Society Part 1. Happy adventuring, and may you ever walk in the light of the crystal.